So I'll tell you one thing that I've gained a huge appreciation for over the past six months as we've been trying to put this show together is podcasts are deceptively hard, mm. right? Like I hear two people yakking. I know it's been somewhat edited, but I'm like, yeah, they just sat down in their basement in their underwear. Well, I don't know if they're both in their underwear. One of them definitely was and talked. How hard can it be? Yeah, uh, that's part of the part of the uniqueness, I, probably. Right? We go back to like the Wayne's World kind of a couple guys on community <laughs> community community cable radio or, or television or whatever. Oh, let's it is. do that. Let's get on cable somewhere. That's so great. The morning show. Yeah, but but it's not like that. It's all no smoke and mirrors. This is a podcast where two old friends, both Canadian, one black and one white, and both men, explore what it looks like to adopt the mindset of an inclusive society. Instead of asking, how do we get there? Jake and Chris discuss, what does it look like to act as if we're already there? Welcome to the Disorienting Dilemma. So the other day I was, uh, Google Alert sent me a press release from this company that was, rightly so, talking about their community investment and they were proud of their community investment and they were proud of their employees who were proud of it. And they said, 81% of our employees have participated in employee volunteering this year. And I'm always curious about a high statistic because only one out of five Americans, Canadians, that number varies right. other places, but one out of five adults volunteer on a regular basis. So for most people, help, let me just caveat, helping other people is a human compulsion, almost Everybody does it, but formal volunteering, the kind they're talking about 25, 30% at best do it. Okay. So 81% participation. I, I thought, what was that participation? Cause they said 81% and then this many lives touched, which is another statistic that I don't particularly think is helpful to anybody. And I figured it out. It's eight hours per person. And that either meant one long volunteering event, but during COVID probably not the case. So probably two events four hours or so and there's nothing wrong with that at all i for most of us because we don't volunteer that's actually quite a bit i would expect the first time volunteer or an occasional person who volunteers occasionally to volunteer maybe four or five hours in a year so that that's a good stat but what they were doing was positioning it as look at how much leadership we're demonstrating community investment and our commitment to these issues now, I don't know what really is going on. I don't know what their C-suite is talking about and whatnot. But it, that stat in and of itself, without any explanation of who they were helping or the importance of these issues, of the communities, the critical nature of it, I, I, there's nothing except what they did to help some group about something. I thought, oh my gosh, employee volunteering can be performative. It this, can, is, this is the work that you do. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, uh, Jake. I, for our listeners, my company, Realize Worth, we work with companies on employee volunteering. So that's why this topic is of particular importance to me, because we want to go past what we have been calling transactional right. volunteering to something transformative. But you and I are talking a lot about performative allyship and virtue signaling mm -hmm. as part of the topics of belonging and inclusion. In fact, I think it's one of the things that you and I fret about and even in this podcast yeah just even setting this up to not wanting to play a role right and when we're yeah. talking about it i you know my identity as uh african nova scotian uh cis male i don't want to 
end up in this conversation playing the role of, well, this is the marginalized person that has to have a conversation about how does it feel? Even just setting this up and thinking about talking about this today felt a bit weird to me. Yeah. Just putting it out there. Right. We're going out on a limb and somebody can come behind because it's easy to criticize. And honestly, I think there needs to be a lot of criticism of this kind of thing. It's very easy for me to look at this company and say, 81% participation, eight hours per active employee. (sighs) That's just transactional. But that's easy for me to do. I, I don't mean to criticize them for that. But what I want to say is when you position that kind of community investment with yourself at the center and leave the reader with the impression that this is just about how great you are as a company, you're a performative ally at that point. Well, you talked about the press release uh, having some stats, and stats are always helpful. They measure something, but you're right. It seems to measure the contribution that they made. And even yeah. even when you said, uh, I can't remember if it was lo- number of lives touched or, yeah. or however – yeah, 50 million how, lives touched or something like how that. How do you yeah. how do you measure the impact of that work? Like I yeah. it feel for me that seems to be a better way of talking about it. I don't know. Is that something that, that you see in your work or is that where people need to be thinking about? Yeah, that's a great question because um that's usually where we start. We we want to say you can talk about how many buildings you painted or yards you've cleaned, and those are good things to do in the community. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. What I'm saying is that that kind of thing, if it if you're using, if your marketing department is using that to primarily say our bank is a great bank, for example, you're doing exactly what the critics are are concerned about with individuals around Black Lives Matter, gender equity in the workplace. BIPOC communities, new arrivals, um, returning citizens from jail, all of that kind of intersectional uh, intersectionality. Anytime we put ourselves at the center to say, this is now about me, look at how great I am in this context, that's a bad thing. So I wanted today, Jake, I we both talked about maybe discussing performative allyship. What is it? How do I know when it's happening and what can I do right. to not fall into that category? I see. I because I don't work with groups in the same way, uh, my work is more individual based and, and just talking to folks uh, in terms of a very personal journey, journey. So when I think about virtue signaling, I think about how that shows up in individuals. But when you described it, it almost seems like a corporate version of virtue signaling. Look how good we are. Look how great we are. Look right, what right, we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I think that's the extrapolation I'm making because some of our audience will go, oh yeah, that is greenwashing or that doesn't feel authentic, but it's a, it's a trait that can happen to humans as a collective, as a corporation or as individuals, as you just, as you just pointed out. Hey, listen, for our our listeners today, I want to go back. We don't want to assume that you are up on all of the lingo. And so in the show notes, you're going to see a document that goes through basically a glossary of terms that will help if you're engaging in conversations about inclusivity and what that means. But Jake, could you explain, you actually have been thinking and talking more about this in your role with the university, performative allyship and virtue signaling, and because of uh, how you identify as a mixed uh, ethnicity, 
mm -hmm. origins. So performative allyship, let's unpack it. What are some ways that you would explain that to people? So performative allyship comes across first as a criticism. It, it tends to be fairly pejorative. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's not a good term if someone uses it on you. Yeah, no, don't, yeah, no. don't, don't wrap your arms around yeah, that. You're like, say, Hey, I'm a performer. Yeah, no, no. That's <laughs> not like that. Okay. Uh, you're an actor. You're a fraud. You're, you're a fake. Uh, there, you lack authenticity. You that if there's more attention on the person who did the work than the issue or the marginalized group that they were trying to quote unquote help, tends to be performative. Okay. That's a really good point because it's a negative term. Uh, it comes out of slacktivism. I think after George Floyd, the killing of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, it became uh, something that people saw because there's a lot of folks who are like, what is going on? They, they had never had enough footage to watch from start to finish so in your face, a modern day lynching. Yeah, unless you live that. Right. Unless you live that, that, and that's the, I think that's really important to say that performative allyship belongs to the group that's typically unaffected by the issue right. that we want to be an ally about or the community that we want to ally to. It, it doesn't really damage anyone, but it, it, it does excuse. I think this is the worst part. It, you can use it as a way to excuse yourself from the struggle. So I can hashtag say his name. There are points of where this can generate awareness or big talking points or that kind of thing. But the biggest pushback I think is what you said, which is when people kind of muscle in on the stage and say, I'm here, I noticed. So, you know, aren't I great? Yeah. Well, it, that, that does happen, but I, sometimes they don't have to, uh, say, aren't I great? Other people bring that to them and they just believe it and basket it. Right. Right. So even right. if my motives are pure and I, set out to help and I'm using all of my privilege to do that. And then all of a sudden people start noticing, Jake, you're doing some really great things. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you yeah. very much. For so then, then I become part of that story. I become the center of that story and I forget yeah. what really called me into it. Yes. So virtue signaling is another term that feels really close. It's hard to distinguish, but I think virtue signaling it feels a bit more intentional when people, when you get labeled with virtue signaling, I think people are saying, uh, you're just trying to tell everybody what side you're on, mm -hmm. but you're not going to do anything. Yeah. You've taken a position. Yep. You, you've made that clear. You, you yep. joined the hashtag. You've changed your profile yep. picture. You mm -hmm. didn't post a on little the pic yeah, picture day. square up. Yep. yep. So the you did, you did all of that stuff. So I know where you stand and knowing where you stand, if you don't do anything with that, uh, position and privilege that you show up with, it hasn't really changed anything. You haven't had to wrestle with your role in and in, in being complicit in, if we're using race, then uh, around the supremacy, white supremacy in particular. If it's about gender, we haven't had to wrestle with the ways that uh, male privilege shows up. So there's a whole bunch of different things. But if I just say it and I haven't wrestled with it, it starts to feel mighty performative. Yep. So this, what we want to talk about is just cluing everybody into that as we got clued into it at some point. Mm -hmm. And then what do we do about it? The interesting thing is that virtue signaling is a normal human activity. So uh, in our work, again, at Realize Worth, we do a, a lot of research in the in various sciences, neuroscience, cognitive science, psychology, and, and whatnot. And we try to bring that to our work because we're really about human behavior and engineering conditions for, for pro-social human behavior to, to occur. And so that's why this topic obviously is now merging into 
employee volunteering, corporate citizenship, CSR, that kind of thing. CSR, just for our listeners who may be unfamiliar, is uh, corporate social responsibility. Actions on the part of a corporation to demonstrate that they're a good contributing citizen. However, normal human behavior dictates, social identity theory is a study of this, that we know who we are by who we're not. So we congregate in families, groups, tribes, human beings do this all over the planet all the time. It's just normal human behavior. And I know which group I'm a part of by which group I'm not a part of. And virtue signaling is a way for me to say to my group, this is, or, or other groups, this is who I am. So I, I'm trying to track along with you and it makes sense. But when I'm listening to you, the one part that I can't get out of my head is that not all groups are equal. So they may be that, different. That is the issue. They that are different. The your group is different than my group and you know that you're not me and all of that I, makes sense. But there are some very different realities in my group than your that's group right. even. So uh, how does that take into account? Well, that's where the criticism rightly comes in. Our perspective in the work that we do is that we need to take a posture of humility and equal reciprocity with the groups that we're interacting with. And when we're showing up to help we are deferential. Right. The important thing, when I walk away from an experience, say at a soup kitchen or that kind of thing, the important thing is not to tell people, look what I do on my Sundays. The important thing to do is to talk to people, are you aware of the homelessness issues facing our city here in Baltimore? Are you aware that it's illegal to defecate outside, but there are no public bathrooms where the guys live? And so the entire system is set up to give them ticket after ticket after ticket. That's the kind of conversation that should come out of my experience, not the conversation that says, oh, yeah, I go to the homeless soup kitchen, uh, you know, once a month because that's the kind of person I am. I think that's the, that's where the difference, the delta happens. It sounds like you're talking about a bit of transformative learning. It sounds like you're making sense of that experience in ways that invigorate your activism, invigorate you to be a better ally. You're not just going to into your example of the soup kitchen, you're not just going so someone has a meal on the Sunday night. That makes sense to me. Is that the normal way that you see folks uh, connect to the work? Is it transformative? Well, that you know, that's interesting. Nobody starts out with that mindset, okay, ever, right? Because we're extrinsically motivated, right, to get involved. So I come because, let's say I go to Soup Kitchen because you asked me to go, or because I saw something on TV, or even with this issue, there's some extrinsic trigger to create awareness, but I typically go in wanting to make a difference or contribute or help. So let, I want to come back to that in a second, because I think there's a way to understand where we are in this without feeling badly and embarrassed about it, but with also with some principles that maybe can take us forward. So we're not stuck as a loud so-and-so just talking about themselves, even though right. we want to do better. Yeah. And I, I would, I do want to come back to it uh, because that's interesting to me, the idea of, I've done that. I've invited people along. I'm having a really good experience. I'm going there to the soup kitchen. I'm connecting with this experience and I want it for someone else. Yeah. And so I say, hey, do you want to come come along with me? I go and volunteer here on Sunday yeah. night. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that. Is that performative? No, I, I, that I think you're at a different level of investigation. I would call that like a third stage level. So yeah, and I want to unpack okay. that so we can find we'll out back. where we are. But let's go back to performative allyship for just a second. The criticism of it feels legitimate, but I want to add one little fly and put it in the ointment. 
And well, now, this will be our disorienting dilemma, I suspect. Yeah, why am I putting a fly in ointment anyways? Who's putting flies in ointment? Where did that come from? I don't know. That's another show. Okay, the criticisms of performative allyship. So I want to take the current president. Uh, you're probably listening to this, and he will be the past president. But uh, President Trump would often use Twitter to signal a perspective. And because of the role... And because of how people perceive that role, that signal, all they did, all he had to do was say this, an entire national perspective could shift. What, in your opinion, is the difference between performative allyship not leading to real change and then what we've seen Donald Trump do and absolutely driving the conversation beyond what anybody thought he could do, I think, at the beginning of his term? From an outside perspective, I would use a different term. I haven't thought of it as performative. The other term that I've heard described that, that shift is dog whistling. It's signaling, but it's oh, not, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, I yeah. don't think it's virtue signaling. I don't think there's anything saying, hey, look at me. It's, it is everything that you were just talking about, though, about group dynamics, mm-hmm. the us, the them, the, the rise of nationalism. And, and um, I think there are some very dangerous messages that have been sent, or at least that I've seen in social media and, and over the last number of years, that, that are amplified through that platform. That platform has given him lots of space to call people to action. But I don't know that it would be performative. Maybe. Right. No, I, some ways, you know, I, I, don't I know. think it's the audience. Like you said, like he's talking to his in group and it is about, it is more, I, I guess if, if you don't like what he's saying, you could call it a dog whistle. If you do like what he's saying, you're going to call it, you're going to say it's a call to action, but you're not a performative ally to your own group, right? You, you talk to your own group with performative allyship, but you're talking about another group and saying, I'm aligning with them. Even if most of my in group doesn't get it. I'm, I'm kind of an ally. I'm, I'm extending myself to ally with obviously a different group. That's not what's happening with president Trump's social media. No, not on social media, but I think there have been, if I'm now take a second and and think about some of the performative moments or moments that have felt performative. I don't know if they're, but moments that have felt performative to me, celebrity to celebrity, when you have Kim Kardashian and president Trump in the oval office, thinking about prison reform, thinking about justice transformation, neither one being known for that. So is there a space to use your uh, celebrity and your power and your privilege? Sure. But it felt very, who, where, where were all of the people who work on this every day? Decades yeah. and decades and decades of people who can't be heard, who aren't heard yeah. for a variety of reasons. And then you have two folks that seem to have picked up this cause had an awesome photo op, did some good work, right? Had some a few pardons. Where's the long commitment? Where's the lasting commitment to that? Maybe there is, and I, I don't know. I, I don't follow either one uh, close enough to know whether there's lasting, but I certainly have some, um, some doubts about the sincerity of that yeah. photo op. Yeah, I, I would say that's legitimate, and I do like it when celebrities show up uh, to put a spotlight on a cause, but do it in a way that is deferential to the leadership that's been there for decades, if not centuries. So this brings us to a way to maybe understand this, and I thought we could talk a little bit about 
how we approach employee volunteering, a model that we use, and see if it applies here and if it could enlighten maybe a way out of getting stuck as a performer yeah. or a slacktivist. Okay. Okay. So let me let me quickly set this up. When we work with companies on their employee giving and volunteering programs, we use a model. It's There's a three-stage model of transformative volunteering. Really, it's a three-stage model in experiential learning. And I'm going to explain them as a volunteer, and then I'd love to see if it applies here to becoming aware of these issues and kind of our own journey into issues like Black Lives Matter or gender equality in the world or even in the workplace, uh, how we understand and support the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Okay. People show up to volunteer for the first time. You know this very well because we used to do this together in Halifax, Nova Scotia, because we're both Nova Scotians. People show up to volunteer for the first time. They come because they're extrinsically motivated, meaning the motivation was outside of themselves. They didn't know really anything about homelessness, mental illness, drug addiction, or coming to a meal at a St. Andrew's church on a Sunday. But their friend asked them to go. Or their church leader said, hey, we're going to cook a bunch of casseroles and go down. But there was some other connection that obligated them to at least consider doing it and then to say yes. So they show up, they cook the 20 lasagnas we handed out. And they want to come to make a difference. They want to be a good person. They want to give back. They want to make a contribution. They want to help. Nothing wrong with any of those things. And we welcome them freely, but we understand that their first stage and that their level of contribution is probably just to cook a lasagna and show up once. If you like what you see here, if there's something here for you, come back again. And a small number would. And that number that would come back month after month, sometimes week after week, would move from that first stage of casually curious, I'm here because my friend invited me, to I'm coming on my own because I'm discovering something meaningful here. And I can't articulate it, and I don't know what it is, but it's very rewarding. Is it still about me? Yes. Should it still be about me? Absolutely. So you you had a, just tracking along, you had a a mix of groups coming. You had groups that were coming, you say like the casserole cooking team, and then you had individuals coming on their own. On their own. And you could jump in and out of that experience? Yeah. People could come, they could come, they could not come. There was this group of regulars Um, who we could sort of count on to see coming on a regular basis. We didn't remind them to come. They had intrinsic motivation because they were getting something out of it. Okay. And what they were getting out of it was different depending on them, depending on the interactions. I I don't know, but they were, there was an intrinsic now motivator for them to be a part of it. And there were, there was meaningful discovery. Now, some of them would continue on over years and years and they would become sort of intentional alignment. This is just, they're all about the Sunday suppers, that was what we called it. They were includers. And we I began to understand that the first stage is a bit like being a tourist. You show up, you know, in Athens, Greece for the first time, like it. I went because there was a, a sale or I've seen pictures and I thought it would be nice to go. But if I really like it and I go back once or twice a year, I move from being a tourist to a bit of a traveler. I know where the hotels are right, that I like right. or the Airbnbs or the restaurants. And then as I work through that traveler stage, I begin to, uh, maybe I get to a place where, you know, I want to retire there. I'm going to buy some property. I'm going to go there once a month. And I talk about Greece and I'm read up on Greek politics and Greece does not pay me to do that. I'm not on any salary. Nobody reminds me. It's just, it matters to me for some reason. And I tell other people, I share with other people. So that's the tourist traveler guide 
model that we use. Most people who volunteer are going to be tourists. A few will go on to become travelers and a very small group will go on to be guides. And that's okay. It's not about everybody becoming guides, but it is about designing an approach based on real human behavior that allows us to meet those volunteers at their highest level of contribution. So I, I like that in terms of volunteering. How does that line up with allyship? I think you said we'll come back to it. It starts to feel like we're overlapping a couple of things that we're, we were going to come back to. Right. So this is me coming back to it now. I yeah, think. yeah. So is it, no, but that's right. So I, am I hearing you right that stage one, there's a Black Lives Matter r- rally. Yep. And I ask, I'm going. Yep. And I ask someone at work, do you want to come with? Is that an invitation? Is that a stage Jake, one? If you asked me a... and I didn't know anything about Black Lives Matter, I'd say, okay, yeah. Uh, do you want to get a beer after or something like that? Like, I'll go because you're asking me. I don't so, understand anything about the topic. But so is that, is that performative though? No, it's just, well, no, I don't think it's performative yet. Okay. I think it can look performative to the outside. Okay. Right? Like if, if people don't know what I'm really doing or why I'm there, I could get criticized for being performative. Right. Cause that's sort of thing I'm thinking, but you have to start somewhere. You so, have to start somewhere. So if, if you're, if you're, so maybe that's just a natural uh, risk in starting that at the beginning, it, it looks performative. It's very hard to distinguish between genuine outrage and performative mm-hmm. allyship. Mm-hmm. The behaviors look similar to the outside, but it's really about what's going on inside. So, if you did this right for me and I said, oh, Jake, th- these are these are big issues. I'm going to go home and share some of the stuff on social media. We took some pictures and I'm going to talk about how this is a critical issue. And we painted a street in downtown Halifax. This, right. this is great. And then you said, you want to, there's a, there's another thing going on or, or here's a book you can read. No, no, Jake, I'm good. I'm good. I, 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 this is good. I'll just share these photos, but I, I'm kind of busy. Right. And I never go back to it but I keep reposting photos and I keep resharing your stuff. But every time you ask me, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Then I think I've slipped into something kind of performative where I'm still leveraging the movement and my, my picture in it, my place in it just for me. Right. So it doesn't, you're not doing any work. You're not not actively dismantling the oppression. You're not doing it. You're just, Showing up for the hashtag. Yeah. I'm not even giving up another Sunday for you. Okay. But that's a starting place. That's a starting place. And if, if we do it right, if, if, if we, you know, me with my white community, you with your friends, and if we understand that that's just, you're going to start up with, I want to make a difference and I want to help and don't judge people for that. Just understand that's where we all start. The experience itself, if it's transformative, and by trans, we'll do a whole nother show on that. But um, if it's transformative, I begin to ask some pretty hard questions inside. So that ha- that's how you get to this intrinsic motivator. This is that is that right? right. That's the yeah. work you're doing. That's the work I'm doing, and I want to move on to stage two. Or I I don't know I'm moving on to stage two, but I silently slip into stage two because I'm. I'm coming to you and I'm saying, Hey Jake, are there, uh, are, there are, we, are you guys doing anything else? Like, do you have a group or where c- can I read about this? I don't really understand. Somebody said I might be racist. Where can I go now? Unfortunately, you're black. I'm white. And I don't I know don't if that's mean- unfortunate. <laughs> I just, uh, <laughs> it's just a weird way to say that. What I meant by that is 
There is <laughs> sorry. There is a well understood thing where uh, white people are like, well, I'll just go ask my one black friend what I should do or what I should read. I didn't mean it like that. I just right. meant you would ask me to go to the thing. We're talking about it on the way home. And I might ask right. where I could learn more or sign up or do something. But it really becomes, I, I think when we move in the traveler stage, I start to become very intrinsically motivated to learn more and to figure this out, right? That's the I state of that. meaningful yeah. discovery. I want to figure out what's going on and where I am in this issue. And, and I tell you, stage two is difficult because I get angry. I, I get angry about myself. I remember when I first had to come to terms with being a racist. It was just awful, right? To, to think that this stuff is down deep inside of me and a lot of my default thinking is there. When it comes to gender equity issues, right? same thing. Newcomers from other countries, I can say I'm inclusive all I want because I'm Canadian, but there are things down deep inside of me that the more I have these experiences, the more I am forced to question it. And I think that's when I know I'm in stage two is when I'm starting to get really emotional, worked up and the struggle that has been the black community struggle or women's all of a sudden becomes internalized because I'm asking what role am I playing in the system hmm. to keep it going? Okay. So, it sounds like the stage two, then there's this, you know, the other pejorative term that sometimes goes along with this is that uh, performative wokeness. Yeah. That's and good. then that's getting, good. you know, there's this whole, you know, or virtual signaling starts to be, um, folks in that category tend to be pretty judgy because mm -hmm. you're getting it and mm -hmm. you don't, you forget that I might not be getting it. <laughs> well, do, do, do you find that that, that that's a hard switch. Yeah. Well, I, when you're involved with volunteering, don't you find that after a while people unconsciously almost identify with the group that they're helping and then they go home and their whole family's like, well, you know what those people live on the streets need to do? Get a GD job, just like I have, pay their taxes yeah, and stop being so lazy. And maybe their life wouldn't be so hard. And you lose your mind at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Burn the house down. And you forget that you were saying weirdly similar things just two years earlier. Right. <laughs> That's an inner turmoil that I, I, it's, it's just, it can be exhausting. I wonder if that's part of that journey is the, the shifting the mind, right? It is this disorienting dilemma where you have to then to, to your point, yeah. wrestle with it. And I love that you're wrestling with it, that there's a, a, a sort of a personal or inner struggle so that you don't become a burden to your, you know, in, in the case, in the example you gave to the, your black friend, right. to the marginalized person in your life that you don't go to them to be responsible for all your learning and processing and guilt and fragility that you're working it out on your own. Yeah. But there are resources, right? Is that? Yeah. 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 Uh, I want to, uh, we always encourage our volunteers to be willing to have hard conversations internally, but you kind of have to talk about it with other people too. That rational discourse is how neural genesis kicks in and you grow new neural pathways so you can actually engage with the world differently. So the first stage, external motivation, intrinsic and second phase, what's the third? The third is that of guide. So it's intentional alignment. You're living in Greece two months out of the year. You're talking about Greece. You have an informed opinion about politics. Right, right. You're not Greek, but you're a strong ally. 
the other piece that I see around these guides would be people who are well practiced in redirecting praise. So when yeah. someone says, Oh my God, you're doing such a great thing. You are so great. Look at how awesome it is. The work that you're doing, they find those ways to redirect and to put it, to put in the center, uh, those marginalized voices, those folks that don't get the attention. And so there is that shift. And I think that is a difference with that guide. And probably the, the third thing, if I'm thinking about it, this bit of a checklist, if I were going through my head saying, I've been accused of being performative. I'd be going through this. And the third thing I'd be thinking about is, is there some integrity to my activism? Yeah. It, it, am I aligned in terms of my private allyship and my public? If the, the work that I do in terms of activism, when no one's going to see, the learning I do, to your point, the books I decide to go and read on my own so that I don't have to be a burden to someone else. Yeah. If there's an alignment, I think we're, we're probably in a good place to, to be a guide or to at least start thinking that we've, yeah. we've reached that third level in terms of allyship yeah. anyway. No, those are, those are really good. I, I want to apply those three tests. You know, am I consistent? My commitment when I'm recognized, do I redirect do I redirect recognition onto the topic, the community, and the issue, or do I take it for myself? And the secondly, the the public stuff that I'm saying, the private, am I doing the internal work, the private work that backs up showing up at a Black Lives Matter event? The interesting application here, Jake, is for me, going back to the original opening, which was companies talking mm -hmm. about their community investment. And the three questions, I think, are the same. And it's basically, how consistent are you in that commitment? Did you do it once in a 12-month period? Right. That That's about as consistent as a workout routine at your daily gym. It's not going to change <laughs> anything. Right? You went once. Guilty. Nobody's going to fault you for that. Yeah. But this is not going to change anything for yourself or for, for anybody else in your life. Right. Second one, um, do I redirect recognition? Do I focus it on the actual issue or am I stealing it and owning right. it, taking it for myself? What are companies doing? When you talk about community investment, are you kind of like, oh, look at the hits we're getting. People are buying our product. There's nothing wrong with that. If you have intentionally said, we need to put the focus on this over here. If we tend to benefit from it because people say, I want to align with a brand that believes like that, then that's, that's fine. But it's a byproduct. It's a byproduct. It's not yeah. the point. Right. And then the, the same as it would be for us personally too. And then the last one, um, public and private. Companies talk about, uh, I know so many companies that put out memos. We need to be more focused on our shareholders, our stakeholder, our stakeholders rather than our shareholders. Well, that's lovely. But I also know if you look behind the scenes, some of these companies are plagued with legal suits and clamping down on talking and crushing anything inside to where employees want to express. Uh, Google went through this a big issue where they were cracking down on employee activism. You can't talk about public activism and then behind the scenes at home employ the billy club to keep them silent and in line. That's just... Performative? That's... <laughs> That. If you're, if, if you're going to look for a word, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we're done here. We solved all the problems. I'm just going to go tweet about this and let everybody know how great I am in talking about this. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's, what is that sarcasm or irony or ridiculous or something? But maybe we shouldn't include that in the show. 
This podcast is brought to you by the RW Institute, produced by Daniel Parker, recorded remotely in Los Angeles from Baltimore, Maryland and Halifax, Nova Scotia. Be sure to subscribe so you can keep up with the conversation. Care to react? Submit your comments at rw.institute or on the comment feature where you're listening now.